0: Welcome to Podsdale, where we delve into the heart of our vibrant community and explore the stories that make Scottsdale truly special. I'm your host, Holly Walter, from the city's Office of Communication. Whether you're a city employee, a longtime resident, or a newcomer eager to discover what makes Scottsdale tick, I'm happy to have you listening. But before we dive in, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Okay, so today we are going to take a trip back in time and talk about Scottsdale's history. And it's fitting because later on this month, we will be celebrating Founders Day, which takes place on February 26th. And today my guests are Bruce Wall, Citizen Advisor with the City of Scottsdale. And we've actually had Bruce on the show before. So welcome back, Bruce.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And I also have Jason Song, who is the president of the Scottsdale Historical Society and has a very interesting history with the city itself. Welcome, Jason.
2: Thank you so much, Holly.
0: I did hear your family's fairly new to Scottsdale. Eh, Been here since the 20s. Is that right?
2: Yeah, the 1920s, Holly. (laughs)
0: The ni- oh, the 1920s. Okay, so you have a lot you can share with us today. We're glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm going to start with Bruce. Why don't you share a little bit of our city's humble beginnings, how we were founded, and our city's founder, Winfield Scott.
1: Okay, well, it happened all back in 1888. Winfield and Helen Scott were looking for some land to turn into a farm so that they would have a place in retirement after he was done with the United States Army, where he was an Army chaplain. So they, he was invited to come down to the Phoenix area, and he went and looked at an area that they called the Salt River Valley, although most people at that time just called it the desert. It was in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. And he came out, he saw where the Arizona Canal went through, and he selected a 640-acre tract of land that today would be Indian School to Chaparral, Scottsdale Road to Hayden. And he paid about $2.50 an acre for that land for a total of $1,200. Wow.
0: That was a bargain.
1: It was. Even during his lifetime, he was able to sell the land for like 100 times that price. Wow. So then um, he wanted to attract people. So what do you do to attract people? You need a good school system. So they first built a one-room school, and then eventually they built the Little Red Schoolhouse that still stands on the Scottsdale Civic Center. He attracted a lot of his friends and colleagues who were ministers, people like Judson Elliott, um, Werner Vanderhoof. Um, there's several different. At one point, we had more ministers than anything else that were living here in the early 18, 1880s, 1890s. He actually moved here in 1893 with his wife when he had retired from the army. I saw in a recent article that in 1908, There were 75 people living here in Scottsdale, and all of them attended the school graduation of the eighth grade of the Scottsdale Grammar School, which we would call today the Little Red Schoolhouse.
0: And what do we know about Winfield's wife?
1: Helen was quite a remarkable woman. She moved down here. There was no running water. There was no flush toilets. There was no electricity. Everything that happened there, she had to cook, make, clean, make happen— she was doing it all with very little help. Uh, they built a home, it burnt down. They built a second home, and that one lasted a little bit longer. She was just she was the glue that allowed Winfield to go and do and travel and do all the different things that he did. And she was left running the home and the farm and keeping the different people that were working working for Winfield Scott and for Helen.
2: You know, Bruce, I always like the fact that, you know, one of the things he raised. Was uh, raisins. He didn't raise grapes because, you know, as a minister, grapes turn into wine. And of course, he was a teetotaler, so he raised raisins.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to also do the uh, what happened, the one-room schoolhouse joke.
2: Oh, I could do the one-room school. Uh, are you sure? Do you think that? Well,
1: I think you might want to edit it a little bit of uh, your well, language. Okay. So
2: the original wooden schoolhouse was just east of the current brick little red schoolhouse. So the original wooden structure. Well, do you know what's there now, Holly? There's I a don't. well there's a there are bathrooms there. So that means the little the wooden schoolhouse was kind of <laughs> I would have gone with crappy myself. Okay. It could have <laughs> been crappy, you know
0: <laughs> so, so that prompted the new building.
2: Uh you know, what they, when they built the new building, they actually uh, floated a bond for $5,000. As you know, at the city of Scottsdale, we float bonds. And they were able to build it for $4,700 under budget. It's actually the second old, oldest building in Scottsdale. And it's the first brick building in Scottsdale that's still standing.
0: And it's great that it's open to the public. And we're going to talk a bit more about that soon. Now, Jason, your family has been here since the 1920s. Can mm-hmm. you share some of the history of your family and what brought them to Scottsdale?
2: Uh, you know, my, uh, my grandfather and he had, they had eight children. The last three were born in Scottsdale. They actually started leasing a store in 1929. The store is now Mexican Imports. Okay. And if you ever walk next to that building, you'll see it's actually got porcelain bricks on the side they leased that store. They were actually leasing property, a store in Chandler as well. And so they had both going for a few years and then they moved everyone to Scottsdale. They actually lived in a house immediately behind the store. Uh, It was a little wooden building and all the kids lived there and all the kids worked in the store and they all attended uh, Scottsdale High School, which was over on Indian School Road. So they've been there and they all ended up being professionals in one way or another. They all went to college. Education was very important to my grandfather.
0: That's very impressive. And of course, you're still here in Scottsdale.
2: I'm still here in Scottsdale, as are my brother and sister and uh, many of my cousins. We just had a family reunion. It was only about 124 attendees. So uh, I've got 32 first cousins.
0: Wow. Oh, just 124. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, families are not as big as they used to be.
0: No. (laughs) No. Going back to the city's incorporation, how did that come about?
1: Well, it was about 1951, and Scottsdale was a, still the, the square mile or so, maybe a little bit bigger. But there was rumors and and there was action being done by the city of Phoenix to start annexing land further towards Scottsdale. And the residents had to decide, do they want to keep it as Scottsdale or their own little town, or do they want to be swallowed up by Phoenix? And they decided. They took. um, They signed a petition asking the county to give them the right to incorporate. The county agreed to it. And in 1951, with there's different amounts, but it's approximately 2,032 people at the time of incorporation. And then once they became incorporated, they started annexing more and more and more land to be part of Scottsdale. So that by the time 1961 happened, there was more than 10,000 people in Scottsdale, and they were able to read, um, to become an official city.
0: That's an amazing period of growth when you look at, you said about a little over 2,000 residents to 10? 10.
1: To 10,000, yeah. And it wasn't more people moving in. It was annexing more land to incorporate more people. Okay.
2: Yeah, there were a number of subdivisions that were built that were outside of that official little city. I live in one of those houses at 68th and Thomas. It was built in 1957. And there were a whole bunch of neighborhoods that are in that range that were on county property when they originally were built.
0: How long has Scottsdale been Scottsdale? I've heard that the city was originally referred to as Orangedale.
1: Right. So what we can hear or what we found out from the investigation of, of a man named Albert Utley, Albert owned the land that is today Indian school to Thomas Scottsdale to Hayden, and he set aside 40 acres to what we would call today the um, southeast corner of Indian School Road and Scottsdale Road as to be this town. And so he floated some names with his family. He floated the name of Utleyville. And they all said, no, that's not going to work. And um, he had left Rhode Island because he had um, one of his businesses went bankrupt. And they decided, you know, let's not put our name on it. So his brother-in-law was W.J. Murphy, who built the Arizona Canal. So he then floated the name to his family. What about we call it Murphyville? And they said, no, W.J. Murphy created his own town on the west side, and he named it Glendale. So let's come up with a better name. So then he thought about Winfield Scott and Winfield Scott's um, orange orchard and the wealth and that that was going to mean for this new community. So he floated the idea of Orangedale, and everyone in his family liked it, so they named it in February 1894. It was recorded as Orangedale. Utley asked for a newspaper reporter to come to this new town and do a story about it. The newspaper reporter was asked, how do I find it? They said, go to Winfield Scott's farm, and then head south, you'll find it. So the guy comes out, and he writes the story. He meets Winfield Scott. The story is all about how, what a great guy Winfield Scott is, so when he brings the story back to the editor, the editor says this new reporter must have got it wrong. Couldn't possibly be called Orangedale. He must have meant Scottsdale, named after Winfield Scott. So the editor wrote Scottsdale in the article. The people said, We like Scottsdale, and that's how Scottsdale got its name. And that's the story that Paul Messenger tells.
0: Well, I think it's a name that stuck and stuck well. Absolutely. Now, I think oftentimes there is another famous Winfield Scott out there, and sometimes these two Winfields get confused.
1: Yes, there's General Winfield Scott. He's General of the Army Winfield Scott. And there's a lot of things named after him, like Scott Circle in Washington, D.C. is named after him. There's counties, cities, towns, all named after that General Scott. But our Scott, our Winfield Scott, who's Chaplain Winfield Scott, He was born about 60 years after the general, and his start of his military career was at the general's end of his military career. And R. Winfield has only got two communities named after him. The, of course, Scottsdale, Arizona, but also Winfield, Kansas is named after R. Winfield.
0: And what else do we know about Winfield?
1: Well, he was a dynamic speaker. He was a pastor, a minister, a Baptist minister. People loved to hear him speak. When he would come out and preach— the rooms would be filled because of his reputation. And then the next week with the regular minister, they wouldn't get those same people. So he was definitely a draw. He was all over the place. And he was like the Energizer Bunny of early Scottsdale. He was going everywhere and doing everything. He ran and was elected to the territorial legislature. He was on the school board. He founded the school. And he was going everywhere and doing everything, running a farm, a civic leader. He was like Mr. Scottsdale. At the very beginning of the town. And he also said that he was very honored that it, Scottsdale was named after him. He didn't feel that it, it was owed to him. He just was very honored that the community embraced the name. August 1894 is when Albert Attlee re-recorded the town as Scottsdale.
0: And did Winfield stay in Scottsdale until his death?
1: Well, he was going all over the place. Uh, at one point, he was on the Board of Regents of the Arizona, so he ran the University of Arizona. He was the chancellor of the University of Arizona. He was in Phoenix at the territorial Legislature. He was going all over the place, all over the United States. But his home base was Scottsdale, and when he died, he was in uh, Phoenix.
2: I thought he died in San Diego.
1: No, I thought he... Well, we can edit this one up, but I thought he died in (laughs) Phoenix and he was transported to San Diego for his final resting place because he was buried in San Diego. Okay. Because Helen had moved to San Diego.
2: She didn't like Scottsdale?
1: Well, again. (laughs)
0: Yeah, maybe we should leave this part out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She had, again, no electricity, no running water. Phoenix had all that stuff and she had nothing. So when she went to San Diego, she had family there, her daughter and her son-in-law. And they had electricity, running water, flush toilets. It was quite a draw for her.
2: Okay. Um, One thing, and I'll just finish this little conversation with Bruce. Part of the reason Winfield Scott got that plot of land that he liked was the Arizona Canal runs right through it. If you remember, if you go up Scottsdale Road north, the canal crosses right near Camelback Road. And his plot continued up to Chaparral. So he was able to just draw water as soon as possible to water his crops. And he grew lots of crops. He grew oranges and peanuts and the grapes and corn. And that's another reason he liked Scottsdale a lot, because he could grow virtually anything.
0: It was a beautiful piece of land to be on. Mm-hmm.
2: It, it was.
0: Any other facts about Winfield we want to share about him or...
2: Um, You know, he was uh, wounded twice in uh, the Civil War. He was actually at the Battle of Gettysburg as well. Um, We have a map in the museum that shows all the places he went, and you would just, your jaw will drop when you see all the places he went, especially when you think about the, the times when he went there. I mean, he was literally coast to coast. He was born in Michigan, but, you know, just getting from Michigan to Gettysburg, on horse. There was no train. There was no cars. So everywhere he went just about was on on horse or I think the railroad ran a part of those places that he went, but not not a lot of them. So
0: well, sounds like he had an impact not only on Scottsdale, of course, but the entire state with some of the work that he did.
2: Oh, yeah. I you know, he was like Bruce said, he was he was quite the guy. And, uh, he was also a teetotaler, so that kept Scottsdale dry for a, a long, long time. Mexican Imports actually was originally Johnny Rose's pool hall, and Johnny Rose was an interesting guy. I mean, if you remember the music, man. Yes. And Do you remember the song, you know, Trouble, 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 because there's a new pool hall in town. <laughs> <laughs> he had some other things he did as well that people eventually— Got him kicked out of Scottsdale.
0: So it seems fitting that we are recognizing our founder, and we do this every year. Founder's Day takes place on February 26th. Let's talk about the Scottsdale Historical Society and the work that they do. Jason, tell us about your role at the museum.
2: I'm president of the Scottsdale Historical Society. It is responsible for the museum. That's one of the main things that we do. You know, our mission is to help preserve the history and and educate people about Scottsdale. So that's probably our primary thing that we do. Uh, We're open Wednesday through Sunday. On weekdays and Saturday, we're open from 10 to 5, and on Sundays, it's noon to 4. Uh, Closed Monday and Tuesday, we give us a chance just to get caught up with things. We have a number of volunteers who help archive us stuff. People are always bringing us things that are part of the history of Scottsdale and they make sure that they're gonna fit into our collection. It's quite large. Just at the end of uh, COVID, we redid the museum. It's it's very nice now, and I'm very, very proud of it. On February 5th, we're gonna have a change in exhibits. We will actually have exhibit focused on baseball. And as you know, baseball is a huge part of Scottsdale with spring training. So we're very happy to do that exhibit. Two of our volunteers are Don Hatter and Sandy Demetro, and they do a great job of, of changing out some of these displays that uh, help us highlight and change things to help us keep the museum fresh.
0: That sounds exciting. In fact, we are talking about spring training in an episode that will be airing after this one later in the month. So well, it's a nice tie.
2: That's why we did it then, because spring training is a great thing. And, you know, for the size of our museum, we're actually one of the busiest museums in the state because of spring training. People... They're early for the game, so they want to come. What can we do? It's ten o'clock in the morning, so let's go walk the civic center and they drop into the museum. They look around, and and we get visitors literally from all over the world, from Germany and England and Michigan and other places. People from all over the country coming for spring training, and even when there's not spring training, uh, people from Japan and China and South America are just. It's just probably the best thing is being a volunteer and working at the museum is just meeting all those people and how how great they all are and how they're enjoy the history of Scottsdale cuz not only do we go through the, some of the things that that Bruce talked about but we also have some information about water cuz that's a big topic for people when you mm-hmm. come to Scottsdale how do you how do you guys have all the water here that you do to you know water the golf courses and just to survive here well there's a, a story that we have in there about Mrs. Murphy and how she uh, helped get those canals built, and it's it's pretty fascinating. About the Salt River Project, we have some videos that play in there about the Roosevelt Dam and, uh, again, the Salt River Project, and so if anybody wants to volunteer, it's, it's great fun. I know Bruce volunteers there, and I volunteer not only doing my job as president, but also working at the museum during open hours, and I just love doing that.
0: And if we fail to mention this, the museum is actually housed in the Little Red Schoolhouse, and we talked about the schoolhouse earlier, and I read that at one point the schoolhouse was going to be removed or taken down, and that's when a group of like-minded citizens gathered together to make sure that didn't happen.
2: Correct. The city was, it belongs to the city. The city was going to have it torn down. Over the years, the Little Red Schoolhouse had been, oh, Chamber of Commerce, a uh, police station, a uh, county court. Um, boy, it was a schoolhouse until the '56 or so. And so it had been all these things over time. I think the last group that was there was the Chamber of Commerce, and they did uh, renovation. But it was that group that convinced the city to save it, that it was important historically to keep that building and uh, I'm glad they did. It is it is wonderful, and we're so happy for the city's support.
0: What's the schoolhouse's address? I know you're on the Civic Center.
2: Uh, the address is 7333 Scottsdale Civic Center. If you go from Brown and Main and just walk east, we're about a block in,
1: Bruce. That sounds about right.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, it's changed a lot. When I was growing up in Scottsdale, it was Actually, about where the Little Red Schoolhouse, the road from, went from pavement to dirt. Mm-hmm. And it would be dirt all the way down to about where City Hall is.
0: Quite different now than its uh, original beginnings, the surrounding area.
2: Yeah. I mean, all the area of, east of Brown was a, a barrio. Very different uh, than it is now, obviously. Uh, there was a swimming pool where the library parking lot is now. I used to go there, and that's where I learned how to swim. It's just changed a lot. It's changed a lot. But it's, you know, I think uh, people still like it and come here to visit and come here to live.
0: We talked about your family's history and Scottsdale. How did you become involved with the museum?
2: You know, I had a friend who was on the board, and she said, Jason, you've been in Scottsdale a long time. You should join the board. (laughs) And uh, I I did that and I was uh, just a member for a year while I was still working for a couple years and then uh I thought, you know, I should step up and do some more, especially after I got retired and uh it's I'm so glad I did. It's a, a wonderful thing to be involved with and I'm so happy I've got to know Bruce better. I mean, I've known Bruce for years.
1: 20 years? 20
2: years? Oh my god it's historical. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we met when you were still a city employee. Yeah, that I long was ago.
2: city employee for a long time. So uh, yeah, but it's, it's wonderful. If you haven't been down, Holly, you need to come down and visit. Oh,
0: I've been down. Okay. And I'll be there on Founders day.
2: <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing you and I'm sure Bruce will be there and uh, Winfield Scott will be making a a little guest appearance. We're hoping
1: he can make an appearance so that Winfield Winfield would be there.
2: That would be wonderful. You know, the spirit of Winfield Scott is, is great.
0: What else do you plan to have at the Founder's Day event, which begins, by the way, at 11 a.m. at the Little Red Schoolhouse?
2: You know, usually we talk about the founding of Scottsdale. I'll probably give a little speech. Meh. Um, Winfield Scott will show up. And usually the Daughters of the American Revolution come out and provide uh, cake or something, you know, celebrating Uh Scottsdale, because they're very proud of Scottsdale as well. So that's usually what goes on. It's starting, I think, at 11 o'clock. Is that right?
0: 11 o'clock.
2: And uh, so come by, have a little dessert before lunch, which is the best way to have dessert anyway. You never want to make sure you leave room for dessert. So do it first.
0: And to learn more about the museum, you can visit Scottsdalehistory.org. There's information about the exhibits and about Founder's Day and the museum's history.
2: Yes, absolutely. During COVID, we actually did an exhibit in the Scottsdale Public Library at Civic Center called Then and Now. You can actually see that all on the website. It was great because we had pictures of here's what it looked like back in the day and here's what it looks like now. So it's it's very fun to see, especially Sugar Bowl. Mm Mm-hmm. We call it the Pink Palace. I think it used to be a gas station.
1: Western Auto Parts.
2: Western Auto Parts. So you can see Scottsdale's changed quite a bit.
0: Well, it's great to have people such as yourselves who know so much about our history, can share that with others. And I invite everyone to come out to check out the, the museum, check out Founders Day event on February 26th. And I really appreciate having you both, Bruce and Jason, on the program.
2: Thank you so much for having us. I forgot to mention, admission to the museum is free. Oh, that's important. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes it all the more fun.
0: Any other closing thoughts?
2: Scottsdale is the westmost western town, so be sure and visit the museum and visit Scottsdale. I don't know anyone who hasn't had a great time.
1: I would say if, when you go to the museum, if you have kids with you, make sure to have your kids ring the school bell. They have the original school bell, and you can ring it. It is loud, but the kids really like to ring an old school bell. And it is so loud, we actually have to warn all the people that are in the museum, just so no one hears that and, and gets a startle reaction, because it's that loud.
2: Yes, yeah. Well, and actually, you can let the bigger kids ring it as yeah. well. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you have to be the president to do that. Ah, you let them do it too, Bruce. I know.
0: All right. So that sounds like an open invitation for me to go down there and give that a try.
2: Absolutely. Ring my bell.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both for joining the program. And we will see you on February 26th. Great. We'll see you there. And that's all for this episode of Podsdale. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe. You can find us on YouTube or your favorite podcast streaming app. Feel free to share your thoughts and experiences with us by emailing communications at scottsdaleaz.gov. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Holly Walters signing off and inviting you to be part of the Scottsdale story.